Hey, everybody, before we jump into today's episode, wanted to let you know that we dropped our second custom merch drop, this time with winter hats, perfect for a post run, get together or even on your run and they're available now. Noah said if you order by Thursday, they will make it to your house before Christmas. A perfect Christmas gift for every runner. Check them out. Link in the show notes and on our website. Thanks. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to D3 Glory Days. I'm Noah. That's Stu. And we're back this week with a long-form interview. We haven't done one of these in a while, so this was a really cool opportunity to get another one of those going. I think you'll really like it. Before Stu comes on to introduce the guest, I'm just going to tell you to check the show notes for ways to support this podcast. As always, you can share it with a friend, share it with a coach, share it with a teammate. Getting the word out really helps. Wherever you're listening, if you'll take a moment to rate or review this podcast, only if you like it, probably. That helps us out a lot, too. If you want to go a step further and support this podcast financially, you can do so by checking the links in the show notes, either to our Venmo, which you can think of as our internet tip jar if you appreciate this content or patreon which is a recurring subscription to this show and uh that's probably all for now for me so i'm going to step out of the way and let Stu come on here and introduce dan vasalo but yes as noah said dan vasalo from colby college he graduated in 2007 and recently ran 217 39 to qualify for his third Olympic trials. That's right. His third Olympic trials. And he will run in Orlando at the age of 38 years old. And so we talked about his longevity in the sport, how he was able to handle it physically, how he was able to grind mentally and be able to go from running his first marathon in 2007 to running now his third Olympic trials here in a few months. We go through his career highlights, which include winning the Philadelphia Marathon twice, finishing 10th at the Boston Marathon in 2018. That was the rain year, and he gives a great detail of just the craziness that occurred during that. And we talk about some of his Olympic trial finishes as well. This was a great episode. If you are ever in a rut and need some inspiration to get your running back on track, Dan plays the part of a D3 runner very well in terms of don't ever give up and it's worth pushing yourself after graduation. I love these stories. It's always really inspiring to hear from athletes who have been achieving at a high level for a really long time. So I think you guys will really enjoy this episode. Thanks to Dan for taking the time to sit down with us during his Olympic trials preparation. I'll catch you on the flip side of this episode. Until then, here's to the glory days. All right. Welcome back to D3 Glory Days. It's been a bit since we've done a long form interview and we are back at it this time telling the story of Dan Vasallo. He just qualified for his third Olympic trials of the McCurdy Micro Marathon a couple weeks ago. Dan, welcome to D3 Glory Days. Thanks a lot for, for having me on. And uh, I mean, it's, it's it's my pleasure. I'm not sure if I've got any good stories here. You know, maybe it'll be like Charlie Murphy's uh true Hollywood stories or something like that, but you know, we'll, we'll see how, we'll see how we do here. 
Well, you've got three OTQs, a span of the past three. So I'm sure you have plenty of great stories. And a Colby grad back in 2007, you kind of jumped right into the marathon shortly after you graduated. But before we hear about the origin story, let's go to the present day. You just qualified running 217.39 at McCurdy. If you're not familiar with McCurdy, they what brought you guys to a lake and ran eight laps around like a three point something mile course and a bunch of guys qualified. Kind of take us through the thought process of picking out McCurdy versus, you know, a fall major for your attempt. I mean, I think it was it was the confluence of a couple of different things. Like uh, I, I first took a swing at it at uh, at Grandma's uh, in June, and uh, my my journey of uh, pursuing it at Grandma's ended uh, at the Lesser River Lesser River uh, Medical Tent. So mm-hmm. I had a uh, I had a black uh, I had a black balloon. Uh, full of warm water on my lap and uh, I thought it was a pretty cool uh, you know pretty cool concept of like keeping somebody warm with this water balloon but I'm like wow my marathon career might be ending here with uh, with this this black water balloon in my lap and uh, this is it but then you know just by, by chance uh, I did see James McCurdy at the after party where I was pouting and having a beer really slowly and he was uh, less pouty and uh, you know trying to figure out where all the pouty guys are um, so, you know, he kind of planted the seed. Um, and then actually the next day, uh, I was staying at the, um, the Comfort Inn in West Duluth and uh, still pouting, eating my waffle after, you know, maybe a few pints in Duluth with my wife. Um, and, you know, who else is in the lobby but like Kevin Hansen from from Brooks Hansen's. And I'm like, wow, I, I mean, I, I know who you are. You probably don't know who I am. Um, and he was like, look, I, I know that you, you might be thinking about calling it quits because you know, I was explaining it to him. I also asked him if he'd, if, if he would have uh, taken a shot back in 2007 on a D3 guy around like 30, 50, he said, probably not, but not definitely not. So that was a nice thing for him to say. Yeah. He was like, we're going to be sending guys there. Uh, you should at least think about it. I was like, it's pretty fresh, but you know, maybe I will. But between those two, uh, between those two things, uh, and, you know, I, I don't want to get another airplane to um, to DNF at a marathon. So I didn't want to, like, you know, fly to Chicago and DNF or, you know, fly, like fly to California and DNF. So I was like, all right, this is somewhere where I can, you know, take a car uh, and, you know, only have the dog in daycare for a day. And uh, so so I, I did that. And, you know, that's kind of it's kind of how it went. I signed up like the day before the deadline. Um, because I, I had a really terrible like first half of the season, like training was not going well, and uh, it's like, you know what, the the other the the other alternative at that point was to have my 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 marathon career end with a with a water balloon in my lap. When was the deadline? Like, how much time do you have between deadline like, and race uh, day? I think it was August fifteenth, and I signed okay. up on August fourteenth. <laughs> so exactly what two months prior to the race? Yeah, yeah. You mentioned kind of, you know, walking yourself through the thought process of your marathon career potentially ending in the medical tent. Before we get into the race itself, I kind of want to take you back to another time you were considering ending your marathon career. In your Atlanta 2020 bio, it states pretty specifically that that was going to be your, your last marathon. And then we fast forward here and it seems like you're still running them. So what kind of happened between the 2020 trials and the McCurdy race that has kept you in the game? Um, I mean, also kind of a lot of things. I I was serious. I was serious about quitting. Um, I mean, I think the people closest to me believed me. 
the people maybe not as close to me, but kind of know that I, I'm really competitive. They're like, yeah, this guy's full of crap. He'll, he'll be back. And, uh, but I mean, I was serious about, about calling it quits. Like my, my body was breaking down. Um, I had a good 18, I had a really bad 19 and, uh, you know, I was limping my way to the, to the starting line in Atlanta. Um, you know, I also thought that, you know, I had a lot of miles on my legs. I had a pretty decent career. And if the last day was on that finish line in Atlanta, that would have been, that would have been fine. Then, you know, and the pandemic happened. And even though, you know, as a pandemic happened, I was like, look, this is, this is fine. Like, I'm still going to run. Like, what else am I going to do? You know, I, I kind of figured that I'd be doing thin and handsome training for the, for the rest of my life, you know, running like 70, 80 miles a week, uh, you know, ha having, having a kid or two or something like that. And, uh, you know, maybe coming back if, uh, you know, if, if I had a kid who, uh, who thought he was going to be, you know, a hot shot or something like that in high school track, be like, yeah, well, I'll teach him one thing. <laughs> um, it can never happen. The pandemic obviously did happen. And, uh, you know, for even for a while, I'm like, I'm not going back into the marathon. I want to run like 1645 Ks and have the people that I'm racing against uh, in Peabody probably lose to me. Um, you know, small town and, uh, you know, not especially competitive races around here. And, uh, you know, if I wanted to step back onto the regional circuit and be like, well, you know, this guy's not as good as he used to be, but he's an OG. We can we, we can respect what he did. And uh, so all that happened. Uh, the kid thing never happened. You know, I, I got pretty sick with COVID myself at the end of 2020. And, uh, you know, I, I think it was kind of a coping mechanism to get back into kind of seriously training once I realized that my heart wasn't going to blow up on a four mile run. And, uh, you know, I, I, I take uh, the Cabot Trail Relay in Canada in May pretty seriously. So I trained for our first Cabot after the um, after the pandemic. And uh, I guess after that, you know, I. I, I thought that there was enough gas in the tank to try one more marathon. Uh, so I wanted to end where I started, run the main marathon. I did that in 2022. Uh, I lost. I didn't expect I, I would lose. Um, I ran like the same time that was my record and somebody went through me. Ryan Eiler went through me. And while running in the main marathon, uh, Sam Fazioli, who's one of my competitors in the New England circuit, um, he's like, hey, uh, how about coming back two weeks later and uh, pacing me to the Bay State Marathon? I'm um, going after the record in the Bay State Marathon. And I was like, maybe. So pacing day happened and uh, I had a better day than Sam did. And what am I going to do? Just drop out if I'm leading the thing and Sam's dropping back. I'm running his pace. So I stayed in there, I ran 219. And I was like, well, if I can run 219 off of this. And that's how 2023 happened for me. I was healthy again. Like I wasn't, you know, I wasn't getting out of bed and, uh, you know, limping down the stairs and, uh, you know, and the, that's, that's kind of, it was just one thing leading to another, uh, dropping out of grandma's. I knew that I didn't want to end it that way. And, uh, that, that's, that's where I found myself at McCurdy. Yeah. I think a lot of people will get to that point of like kind of throwing in the towel, so to speak for your competitive running, right. you know, prior to Atlanta and like thinking this is going to be my last, you know, competitive race. How do you cope with like the now, like the thought of like, this is my last competitive race. And I can finally just, you know, like you said, go jog a few little couple of miles here and there and not be, cause I think those who ran in high school, those who ran in college, it's so hard to give it up. So to have that thought, like how, what was that like finishing Atlanta then? Um, it was a relief. It was a relief because I mean, I, I was training was an imposition because my body was in so much pain. Racing was an imposition because my body was in so much pain and I wasn't performing well. Um, so, I mean, it was a relief. It's like, you know, this, like 
what 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 better way to end it um than you know than in Atlanta like where the Olympics were where you know my my favorite rap music is from so you know it's uh yeah I mean Atlanta was was special and uh, I was okay with that being the end. You mentioned injuries a couple times. I think a lot of people can relate to that. What issues were you dealing with specifically? Uh, my hips have been bad kind of for a long time. Uh, my ankles were bad at the end of like 19. Like, you know, there it was just, you know, overuse injuries, overtraining injuries. Uh, I had a sports hernia in 2010, which um, it got patched up. Um, but, you know, I've always had like pain in that area and uh, and in my like upper groin and hip area and like you know the my, like my back as well lower back I've, I've always had trouble with that and i've had to manage it the best i can so let's jump to mccurdy the marathon itself where you qualified again sounds like you know grandma's didn't go well you're dnf you got the spark back you're ready to go training seemingly is going well i was trying to follow it via instagram they showed a bunch of stories and i think the coolest thing was the 218 crew and there's like Look, I don't know, like 50 guys, maybe, let's say, or at least the entire field is there. What's it like being a part of a group that big, which I'm sure you've maybe never been a part of that many guys going that specific pace and putting yourself in it, like the early stages of that race? So I was a little bit um, prepared for it because I feel like I was I was like a fish out of the water uh, at grandma's because there was a big pack like that there. Um, and I had also run successfully in a pack like that at CIM as a, as a 218 guy. Um, but you know, I mean, it, it's, it's intimidating. It's intimidating. Like, you know, you have a little bit of imposter syndrome. It's like, Hey, you know, I, I know who this guy is. Uh, I actually, <laughs> I told the kid, uh, I told Ben Decker, who I'm not sure if you've had him on the podcast before, but, uh, he's a D3 guy also. Um, I met him at the, at the starting line and I was like, Ben, I ran with your dad. I did run with his dad. Uh, his dad was uh, was kind of a guy on the main circuit when I was young, and he was probably in his forties. Um, but yeah, like you know, it's imposter syndrome. Like I I know what Ben Decker's run. I know what what a lot of the guys around me were running. Um, and you know, I I also like to I like to run alone. I like to run from the front. Um, and I knew that I had to battle that instinct and uh and and stay stay in the pack and uh and and not be a hero out there because if I wanted to be a hero, I'd have a mile like the. 10th mile of grandma's I run like, you know, 459 and not have the legs to back it up for, you know, the rest of the race. Were you the oldest guy in the field? Were you the oldest guy in the field? I was not the oldest guy in the field. Uh, Sergio Reyes, um, he he was, he's 41. He's, he's really good. Did he qualify that day? He did. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. He was, uh, he he was the only guy older than me to beat me. And uh, I, I, I never wanted to be the guy who um, enumerates that and sees that, but I've become the guy who enumerates that and sees that. Uh, it's usually uh, Prescott Leach in the New England circuit, Alex Taylor in the New England circuit. So, you know, I, I, I know Alex pretty well. So I texted Alex. I was like, hey, you know how you're the uh, only guy older than me to beat me sometimes? Uh, only got to beat me this. The only older guy to beat me this time is uh, is Sergio Reyes. So as you're, you know, clicking the miles off, you're on pace, you're in this big group you're feeling good. What's going through your head of, is it like, don't bonk, don't bonk, like don't have grandma's happen again. Are you, are you getting confidence just with how you're feeling? Like, how are you feeling the way through the race? Mostly don't bonk, don't bonk, don't (laughs) grandma's happen again. Uh, and you know, I mean, like, you know, I, I I do spreadsheets for a living. I'm a corporate accountant. So I'm like, all right, this is what I need to do to, you know, to, to run like, you know, 221. Like I can start running like 530 pace and still run a 221. And I feel like 
if it had gone badly and I had ended up, you know, mailing in like a 221, 222, 223, that would have been a more suitable way to end my career compared to um, water balloon in my lap. You know, I mean, it's like, you know, it, it, each successive mile, it's like, all right, now I've got, you know, 22 seconds. I can fade by 22 seconds over like six miles. Um, but, you know, I mean, it, it was nerve wracking because I was never feeling so good that I was going to take a big risk. And I was never feeling too good to know until probably 20 seconds out that I was actually going to make it be the last, be one of the second to last guy in instead of the first guy out. Can you kind of describe what life was like in that pack over the course of the race? You have a large group. People, I imagine, are feeling good and will accelerate off the front. People are going off the back. You're also having to navigate the nutrition tables every 5K or so. So was there a sense of camaraderie? What Was, was there chatting going on? Kind of tell us about the, the pack. Early, there was more camaraderie and chatting than late. Um, I mean, I think there was still a lot of camaraderie the the, the whole time. I, I think, you know, everybody's in there to do the same thing. It's not like a competitive thing. It's not like, a you know this guy's wearing the wrong uniform F him. I, I, I want to kick crap out of him. Uh, I also don't know if I can swear on the podcast. So I'm gonna oh, say, go right ahead. Okay. I can, I can swear. I'll keep that in mind, but yeah, I, I mean, I, I did, I, I took a, I took a bottle from somebody when I, when I missed the, when I missed the bottle myself, but you know, I mean, that was early, you know, people were, people were chatting and uh, it, it was extremely cooperative, especially in the beginning, but still at the end. It looks like the final little bit there is a curve where like you maybe don't see the finish line. I was trying to piece together with, with video. And so when you what's take us through like that last turn, you know you hit it, you're 22, 21 seconds under sense of relief, or yeah, take us through it. Yeah. Yeah. No, it was a big sense of relief. So, you know, I mean, like it the the best part about the whole thing, like, you know, from a mathematical perspective, was there was uh there was a sign about 10 seconds before the end. Uh, you can see the sign before you see the end. So when you see the sign, it's like, all right, it's uh, I need to get there. And then if I have 10 seconds to spare, then I'll be OK. Um, and, and the signs are, you know, th those are the pace signs being like, this is where you need to be, uh, you know, at the end of lap six at, at, the, at the end of lap seven. So that's how I knew that I was like, you know, 27 down to 22 seconds uh, in front of where I needed to be. Um, so like, yeah, you do go around the turn and uh, you, you see the signs probably about 20 seconds out. And then you know that once you hit the sign, you've got another 10 seconds before you hit the mat. So yeah, it was it was always, you know, like like piecing together like, you know, exactly where you are. Um, because you know, most uh, deduction, most deduction skills kind of erode by the time that you're at the end of something like that. Maybe not for some of those guys. I some saw some of those guys like you know, pumping their fists and all that. Um, I I, I don't know. I I smiled, I grinned, I was relieved, but I didn't have any energy left to pump my fist or anything. I mean, it's it's got to be one of the coolest finish lines in sport. And I've seen this take place at CIM before because CIM is all, you know, kind of known as that working man's marathon. You have large groups of qualifiers and you see people streaming in one to two minutes under the qualifier and they're the happiest people on yeah. planet Earth. And it seems like that that finish line at McCurdy was was very similar. You know, I had friends in there running 216, 217 and and just it didn't matter what place they were finishing in the overall race it was just the emotion of of getting under the time and so it sounds like your emotions were fairly muted but like when you were looking around what what kind of stuff were you seeing in the aftermath yeah it was a lot of like in or out and like you know in in's a win and out's a loss um you know i i had uh, i had a buddy from maine also d3 guy um ryan jara he's 36 and it was his first time in i think it was his first time that he ever he had ever beaten me after you know years and years uh um, on, on the scene together. 
Um, but you know, I mean, I was just, I was, I was so happy for him. Like, you know, he was there with his, with his wife and his kid. And, uh, it's like, yeah, dad just, uh, dad, dad just ran, he, he just accomplished a goal that, um, you know, I mean, it's a lifetime achievement kind of thing. Like what, once you're in like that, it's your, your life kind of changes forever. Like the first time that I qualified, I was like, wow, my life is going to be not the same for forever. And it, it's, it's weird to think, but I, I mean, I, I definitely know, you know, what a lot of those first time guys felt when they crossed that finish line. So we're almost two weeks away from it, from the race itself. We've heard, we've heard the highs and lows so far of like this journey. Now that you've qualified, like, are you amped up to run another marathon or are you like more amped up that you got an OTQ? Uh, I mean, I, it, it's, it's a little intimidating to be honest. Like, I mean, at this point I was already running, you know, 80, 90 miles a week with this time, with, with this time, uh, out from McCurdy. And, uh, last week I went to a music festival and ran 35 miles. Uh, so, I mean, I, it, it's, it's intimidating, but I guess I'm kind of excited to go out there and kind of, kind of excited to be playing with house money again. Like, I, I feel like I don't have to split atoms to accomplish a certain time anymore. And I can just go out and um, and compete and hopefully not come in last. Have you been totally healthy in the buildup to McCurdy and kind of in the re- in the aftermath of the race? Um, there were some moments where I was like, I mean, the the training and you know my 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 buddy Jason and I kind of came up with the training together. Um, but you know we knew that thin and handsome and just running a ton of miles and not making yourself sick wasn't really working or it worked to a certain extent but then ended with a water balloon in my lap <laughs> um but yeah no we knew it was reckless training and it was you know get faster die trying um so you know th- th- there were some there were some points where yeah my my hips were not right again uh and my ankles weren't quite right again but um i mean generally i was i was healthier than i thought it would be i was i wasn't as close to dying trying as i thought i would be so as you you know, your iron was it February when the race is, is mm-hmm. it going to be yeah. your last competitive race or we're going to see another resurgence here for, uh, 2028? Uh, <laughs> I, I don't know about 2028. I mean, I think that they'll probably drop the standard and, uh, you know, if they drop the standard to, I don't know, 217, 38, uh, I'm probably out. So, <laughs> um, but no, I mean, I, I think that I, I can, I can remain competitive, uh, I do want to run New York as a master. I've never run New York before. Um, so, I mean, if, if, if Sam's still listening and, uh, and this will, you know, get me in or something like that, then, then maybe, uh, then maybe you can slide into my DMS or something, but I, I would, I would like to do that. And I'd also like to like run New York and not have to stand in the bridge for three hours before the race starts, you know? Yeah. That so, sounds miserable. Yeah. Even though I want to do New York. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah, no, exactly. Exactly. Like, same. And, and same thing. Like uh, if, if, if I can't get in, then fine. I'll, 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 I'll run New York. I'll stand on the bridge. I'll still be able to hear Sinatra. Um, so, you know, they're, they'll still be bad, but, uh, but I think I also, I, I still like to compete. I recognize that I'll be pretty good competing against the other old guys, but shit, I don't want to beat the other old guys. Like I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm a NESCAC guy. I'm a D3 guy. I want to, I want to kick the crap out of like a boat in 2018 out there, you know, and, <laughs> and, 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 you know, have, have the guy find out like, you know, hours later that not only did he lose to a Colby guy, but he lost to a Colby guy from 2007. That's terrible. The rivalry is still, still strong. Oh, absolutely. No doubt. 
It sounds like you're pretty connected to your local running community in New England. What what was the reaction from, you know, your running friends and also your family when you when you notched the qualifying time? Um, I didn't tell anybody really beforehand um, because I, I didn't want like I, I knew that all my all my friends like, uh, you know, the the Colby group text, uh, they, they were going to they were going to do some snickers about the, the next DNF and the DNF after that. Um, so I, I didn't tell them, I didn't, I mean, I told a couple of people in the running community, um, because they, you know, they saw me a couple of weeks beforehand in a race. Most of them probably beat me. Um, no, I, and I think everybody was, uh, everybody was relieved for me. They were happy for me. Um, especially some of the guys who are already in like, you know, guys like Brian Harvey and, uh, and, and guys like, um, like, like Alex Taylor who were, were already in and, um, and they're like, it's, it's great to have you great to have you join us again. And, you know, I, I think, you know, all, all, all my boys, you know, they're they're going to they're going to bust my balls about it. But I think they're also probably pretty happy for me anyway. This might be uh, too large of a question. Maybe we can get to it through more questions and more conversation. But you look at what you've done throughout your career. You know, you won the Philly Marathon twice, but recently was 2014. You ran 217, 28. Nine years later, you run 217, 39. And just from like the longevity standpoint, one, that sounds hard to do, but two, like, where do you, you know, you, you've had some injuries, but what do you equate just this longevity, this consistency of being able to hit, you know, a pretty similar time nine years later? The shoes help. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, the shoes definitely help. Like, I, I think, uh, I, I think, you know, after being sick for nine hours after McCurdy, I, I did go out to, with, with a couple of my friends uh, on the drive, home, like on the way home from New York. And I was like, you know, this is going to give me a whole new appreciation for how good I was nine years ago. Because um, th the shoes definitely help. I'm not the same guy I was nine years ago. But the guy the guy I was nine years ago was pretty good. Um, but uh, I mean, I guess when, when it comes to longevity, I think a lot of that is probably good genes. Like my, my dad was an All-American soccer player. And he still plays. He's like, he's 65, 66 years old now. And um, he still plays ball. Um, and he's, he's been lucky. He's been pretty healthy himself. I know that the, the, the track team at his high school was, uh, was lusting after him, uh, but he never ended up doing track. He just did soccer, basketball, and baseball. But um, I think that's one thing. And I think another thing is, uh, you know, I've, I've got, I've got the flexibility living a mile from my office. Um, my, my wife is, more than compliant she's complicit you know i mean we we don't have kids um and uh you know i mean like she she's actually she she uh she won the cape cod marathon the week before i ran mccurdy so um so i guess you know another question another answer to your your um last question is um people who are happy for me is like wow you really had to one-up your wife on that one huh so <laughs> but yeah no i mean like katrina is uh she, she's a fantastic athlete and she really is. Uh, she, she's complicit in this whole thing that I've got going on. Um, she ended up running. Um, she ran two forty nine at Grandma's uh, back the last cycle. So she was, you know, she was. She went for it and fell short. But uh, I mean, she's had a really fantastic career of her own. Um, and uh, it, it was pretty cool, actually, the week before that um, she had her day. I, I've had. I've been lucky. I've had a lot of my days. I had the Philadelphia day. I had uh, that day that we haven't talked about yet, but um, it was a Monday and, um, you know, I had another day last week. So, um, but then she had her one day and uh, she really deserved it. 
I'm going to leave people on the hook for those post-collegiate moments a little while longer. We're definitely going to get to them, but we at D3 Glory Days are, are suckers for an origin story. So oh, yeah. before we get into some more of the highlights, I want to take you back and see if you'll kind of give us a quick rundown of kind of how you got into running in the first place and then how you ended up at Colby. Sure. I mean, I got into running the way that a lot of people get into running. I was a soccer refugee. And once again, my, my dad was an all-American soccer player. And it was it was really hard in my family. Like uh, I'm the oldest child. Uh, I'm sure that I'm sure that John, you know, envisioned his kid to be the same good soccer player that he ended up being. Then he found out that I had trouble hitting puberty. Uh, I I had trouble like with hand eye coordinate or with foot eye coordination. Um, I had trouble with strength. I could see the I could see the field pretty well, but I I was not a good player. So, yeah, I mean, uh, the, the day came where. I had a difficult decision to make. I'd run winter track and spring track and enjoyed it. Uh, cross country team wanted me. Um, and I was like, I'm, I'm a soccer player. I'm, I'm from a soccer family. And uh, the JV coach made the decision for me. So that, that also happened on a Monday. It was uh, Labor Day 2000. Uh, and I kind of never looked back. Did you embrace like the running culture and get into it? Or- yeah, yeah. So at, at Wilmington High School, like, when I was a freshman, I'm serious about the not hitting puberty thing. Like I, I got in, I was uh 85 pounds. The throwers thought that it'd be a good idea to use me as a javelin instead of a distance runner. I lost every race because I was so friggin' small. And then, you know, I, then I hit puberty and uh, I was mid varsity guy. I was like maybe third, fourth, fifth guy. It's pretty competitive. Uh, I was pretty good at running myself like hard, sick. Uh, and then there was a, uh, there, there was a day where um, I got tired of not training hard enough. Like the distance guys didn't want to train hard enough, and uh, and I was like, look, if I'm gonna improve, I'm gonna have to start doing like you know extra workouts and like go back to the track and uh, do this do the end of the sprint workouts after I do my distance jog. Um, then that summer, I saw the Prefontaine movie, and uh, and you know it, it kind of you know kind of helped me uh, double down on you know may- maybe if I work really hard, I train really hard, I can be like this guy. When did you start to realize that those extra efforts were paying dividends in your races? Almost immediately. Like, so I saw the pre-Montaigne movie in July and uh, cross-country season. I was no longer the third or fourth guy. I was, uh, I was either one or one A. When did the idea of running in college come about? Probably once I broke 17 in the 5K in cross-country. Um, I got a couple of letters um, and uh, I don't know how... It got the no, actually, I I remember how I got the Colby. Um, you know, there there were I had heard about Nesca schools. I didn't know them very well. Um, you know, and and I got I got pretty good grades. So you know, like my my family was like, you know, you should try these schools. You should try you know looking at schools like Bowdoin and Bates. And uh, and one of my friend's sisters went to Colby, so Colby was on the list. And uh, we went up there. We talked to the coach, and uh, and he was great. Um. He, I didn't know that he was uh, retiring, but he recruited me and then, uh, then retired. Um, a little bait but, and switch. Yeah. A little bit of that, but the new coach was actually, he was a 42 year old guy, uh, Todd Coffin. Um, and, uh, he probably, when I was a freshman, he could have been the third guy on our team. So I think the, the, you know, that might be the, that might be the footsteps that I end up, uh, that I end up walking is, uh, you know, I, I might be 42 and, uh, and, you know, maybe potentially, maybe not a Colby, but, uh, but potentially being a, a D3 uh, varsity guy or that same, that same level someday. 
you mentioned the culture on your high school team. You know, you you recognize that you had to step it up to really reach your potential. When you got the Colby, what was the team culture like there? Were you surprised to see other people working as hard as you, or was there improvement to be made? Oh, I had I had one I had one guy who's an older guy, and uh, actually at the uh, the LA trials, uh, he he went, and uh, I had not seen him for a long time, but I saw him at the LA trials, and I was like, dude you had the injuries. I didn't, but here I am. I'm, I'm living your life. Uh, there, there was, there a young Jeezy line, uh, living a life of crime, but it wasn't, but it wasn't your life. It was more like mine. And, uh, I, I was kind of living his life. You know, he was the guy who kind of taught me the grind game. Um, you know, he, he, uh, he ran a 354, 1500 as a sophomore and also realized, look, you know, the, the way that I'm really going to make it to the next level is to grind my ass off. Um, he was willing to do it. I was willing to go with him. Um, I stayed healthy. He didn't. And it, it was, it was heartbreaking to see that for a lot of my time at Colby, like he was two years older than me. Um, but I mean, I, I'm, I'm glad that I'm glad that it, it, it ended up working for me. Um, but he really deserved all the stuff that I got. So piecing together some of your results is a little not to you know call you out on your results not being available online, but we're able to find a few of it. Looks like you did have the school record in the 10K for a bit up until uh, probably Tyler Morris. I'm Tyler assuming. Morris. Yeah. Yeah. So what was that like? You know, 85 pound kid freshman, 10K college record holder. You know, it's, you kind of have like this like trajectory of just improvement, improvement, improvement. You know, and you get a, your college rest, 10K record. You know, how was that in the goal of yours when you got to Colby? Oh, I didn't think I didn't think record was attainable or anything like that. I, I wanted to be a varsity guy. You know, I I I, I feel like I, I might have lost a girlfriend or two uh, back in Wilmington um, saying, hey, college track shows no mercy. You know, it's like, I, I, you know, th- this is this is what's necessary to survive. This is what's necessary to, to, to be good. Um, but I think another thing that's underrated or uh, not underrated is not the right word, but um, people don't really recognize it as well. Like if you come from the bottom to being like a top of the varsity guy, um, you kind of know what it takes. So, you know, when I got in, when I got into Colby, I was like the seventh or eighth guy. And it's like, all right, I just have to do this again. I have to, you know, take my training to the next level and, uh, and make my way up. Whereas I think if you're a champion at the high school level and, you know, you kind of step on the track for the first time and you're really good, um, it's hard. It's hard. Like, you know, you, you start from being a, a really good guy, like a real guy. And uh, then you get to a col- the college level and you're just another guy. It's uh, I think it's, it's a hard thing to cope with. And I never had trouble coping with that because I knew what it was like to be at the bottom and had to do it all over again. Because you can kind of ride the momentum of, you know, working your way up through a team. And once you work your way up to the top of the team, then you start working your way up through the competition. That kind of seems to be what you've done for your whole competitive career. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like, you know, it's a a new level. You start at the beginning of the level and you you finish as high as you can get, you know. Um, There was actually, uh, I I wrote down like a a bunch of things that I I didn't want to forget. and then I forgot my list of things at the office. Um, Your college days? Uh, yeah, yeah, like you know, stuff that I I, I want to make sure that I that I, I get out during the podcast. Um, but yeah, there there was, this, but this is one of them. There was uh, kind of a turning point race that I had when I was a sophomore. Like you know those like last chance meets, like the mm-hmm. D three last chance meets is like you know you got to hit like a, a nationals qualifier. 
Um, and they're really weird meets. Like if you're not hitting the time, you're getting the hell out of the race. So I had a completely breakthrough race at one of those races. I, I wasn't, I wasn't fast enough to be anywhere close to these, these qualifiers, but like I start the race in like 16th place. It, it was uh, in New, ha New Haven, Connecticut. It was at Yale. It was hosted by Trinity, but like I start the race in like 16th place and uh, I'm running like, I'm running PR pace and all these people in front of me just start dropping out one after one after another. And I end up, you know, finishing the race in like third or fourth place. And I'm like, wow. And, and I, I run, I run a time, you know, faster than I had, I had ever imagined before. I think I PR by like 15 seconds. And uh, I mean, I had a breakthrough race. I was actually, I, I was driving through New Haven or I was in the passenger seat on the way, on the way through New Haven. And uh, I texted one of my buddies who also had a memorable breakthrough race at the same race. And I was like, hey, you remember that day in New Haven? And she was like, yeah, yeah, I remember that day in New Haven. And I was like, that kind of changed everything for me. And she was like, yeah, it was a complete turning point. Um, but yeah, we we both, uh, you know, we, we had this like breakthrough race. Um, and it was uh, it was memorable. And I think, you know, for, from there, there is no turning back. It's like, wow, I'm, I've, I've come from being a somewhat real guy to, you know, at least on our pond, a, a, a real guy. And uh, it was it was pretty cool. If you recall, you know, you said there's no going back. Like, are you chasing that high again of like, that was a great breakthrough race or chasing your limits of like what you can accomplish? Probably, probably the limits. I mean, I, I was competitive. I, I wanted to beat everybody. I wanted to beat everybody. And, you know, I, I wanted to run from the front and beat everybody. There was a race where, uh, you know, I, I led for the first five miles, you know, running from the front. And, um, and then I, then I got out kicked because I ran from the front for the first five miles. And, you know, did, did, did I, did I, you know, maybe grow a brain and like, you know, race tactics and stuff like that? No, I became worse. <laughs> I was like, no, I'm going to, I'm going to train so hard that I'm going to get revenge on all of these guys who end up beating me in this race. And uh, I, I'm going to run from the front and I'm going to try to run away from these guys even worse than I, than I did this time. You talk about training a lot. And so I think it's kind of worth talking about, like looking back at that time period, the amount of available training knowledge, you know, isn't what it is today. Nobody was on Strava, you know, flow track was maybe in its very early stages, but probably non-existent. So how were you kind of accumulating training knowledge and how were you experimenting with it? Um, I don't know. I mean, more is better. Like, uh, like Todd, our, our coach was a marathon guy. And, uh, and, and, you know, I mean, he was not an especially high mileage marathon guy, but he kind of realized, uh, this, this is a guy who responds well to mileage. Um, I did respond well to mileage and, uh, I mean, it, it, it kind of just accumulated from there. Um, I mean, I, I've, I've got, I've got training logs from every, uh, every run I've done since I was 15 years old. And, uh, you know, I was seeing that, that number go up, you know, year after year, week after week, day after day. Um, and it's pretty cool. You too? No. Yeah. I started in, well, I was 18. Um, and it's, I've used the same online running log ever since. And every day is logged on there. Stu uses it too, but he's been slacking off recently. Where are you guys at? Logger run. run. We're on loggerrun.com. Yeah. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm running to win.com. I was uh, running to win.com. I think. Oh Yeah. When I started online at like age 22 and, uh, and, and yeah, I mean, like before that, I think probably not too far from here in one of these bookcases, I might have the stuff from earlier. 
my number one suggestion to somebody is like start keeping a training journal because I, I, it sounds like you're the same, but I love going back and I can tell you exactly what I did on this day and this year. And uh, it's really special to me. Yep. I mean, there's, there's no doubt about that. I think that, you know, it, it's, it's a tool to keep yourself accountable to yourself as well, you know, and, and also it helps you realize the progress that you've made against the, your past self and, maybe in the opposite direction be like, all right, you know what, maybe I couldn't, maybe I couldn't take the 2014 version of myself, but at least I can give him a fight. Especially if he tries to run from the front and I'll draft off of them. You're learning. Yeah, exactly. Well, you mentioned you responded well to high mileage and, you know, typically post-college you say it's on the track, maybe do some 5k, 10k's on the roads. looks like you went straight from graduating into the marathon and ran 226. Yeah. Right out of college. So mm-hmm. where's the thought process of going straight to a marathon, you know, right after college? I wasn't good enough to do anything else. Like, I mean, you know, I, in, in, in my small pond, you know, it was pretty cool to run like uh 30, 52, but uh, you know, if, if I was going to make it to the next level, if I was going to be, you know, a real guy on the regional or, or national circuit, I, I figured that the marathon was my only, my, my only hope. How did that marathon go in terms of how you felt afterwards? You know, people run their first one and it's either like, fuck that, I'm never doing it again. Or they kind of are like, wow, a whole new world just opened up to me. Where where on that spectrum did you fall? Uh, there's a picture on Facebook somewhere out there taken by uh, my friend Corinna Johnson, um, who is there on a bike. Um, and uh, at the at the time, you know, this is really dating myself. Uh, the, the song I Feel Like Dying by Lil Wayne was popular. So I crossed the finish line. I'm like, I feel like dying. I feel like dying. Um, and that's her, uh, that, that's her caption of the picture of me, you know, doubled over at the finish line. I mean, I, I did feel like dying, but I mean, winning was fun and, uh, and, and being good at something was fun. Uh, I, I mean, crap, this is, this is probably going to be like a, you know, you, you might, you might tailor the podcast being like, man, this, this guy's always just, you know, trying to chase his dad. But um, I mean, my, my, my dad was, a really good athlete. I remember how good he was playing ball, like even in his thirties. Um, and I was like, you know, my, my, my dad still probably had a better athletic career than I did at this point. Um, but at least I'm getting close. Earlier you mentioned, you know, kind of climbing the ladder and this is kind of a new ladder than the roads and the marathon. And you see your progression and you continually are getting better, continually improving. You win more marathons, Philly in 2010 so is this like marathoning, just like everything, like you're all in on marathon at this point? Yeah. I mean, you know, once again, it was, it was something, it was something that I found that I was really good at, you know, and it's, uh, it, it's, it, it's, it's nice to be, it's nice to be really good at something, you know? And, uh, I also realized that, you know, not everybody has, um, has the ability to do that. You know, it, it like, I, I've got a lot of friends, you know, my, my friend Peyton that I talked about earlier, um, they, they, they kill to have a, to have a vehicle like mine. Um, I mean, it's not perfect. I, I can't run a 404 mile without trying, but I, I mean, I can, I can withhold the miles and uh, I, I can do the marathon pretty well. In those early days after college and the first handful of years after college, how did, how did running fit into your life? Was it your number one priority? Were you pursuing it alongside career goals? Kind of walk us through your post-collegiate setup. All right. So my, my first year, uh, I lived in Maine. I worked for the Portland Sea Dogs baseball team. 
Um, cool. The hours for the Portland Sea Dogs baseball team were uh, wild. Like during the baseball season, you, you get to the office around 8.30 in the morning and you're done when the game's over. Um, it, it was it, it was a it was an experience that taught me how to grind, taught me how to grind, you know, real early. Uh, you know, there was one day where I slept through a run. And I was so pissed at myself that I worked out late after the game and had to wake up the next morning and do it again. Um, but yeah, I mean, like I, I look back on my training logs from from that year, the year in Portland. And I was like, this guy is a goddamn madman. I, I don't even recognize that guy anymore. Um, but then after that, you know, I mean, I, I, I got a job at, uh, at Greybock. I've been at Greybock since, uh, since 2008. Um, we're a tech consulting firm and, uh, I am, uh, I'm, I'm the controller there. Um, um, I actually, uh, I'm alongside a couple of, uh, D3 New England, uh, track guys. Uh, oh, cool. actually, yeah, three of our guys from the class of 2008 are, we, we all ran against each other, which is, uh, which is good. And I'm, I'm sure if we've got time, we've got it. I've got more stories about that, but. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I was able to live close to like live close to the office, uh, have great roots from the office. Um, but, you know, I mean, still, I, I, I work really I take the same kind of seriousness toward my work as I as I do with my running. And I, I grind really hard at the office, too. Um, so, you know, I, but still, like if, if I have to go out for a run after, you know, after this interview at like eight o'clock Eastern, like. It doesn't matter. It's still nothing compared to what I did in Portland. Well, speaking of the grind, and I think we should jump to it now. Monday, 2018, Boston Marathon. I was there, not nearly as well as you did, but it's downpouring rain. It's 40 degrees. It's windy in your face the entire time. You finished 10th overall, and it looks like you you did start with the like the A corral, correct? I did, yeah. Yeah, so you get 10th overall from the mass start. And, you know, you, I saw that. Oh, no, 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 I'm sorry. No, I had the, I, 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 two digit, I think I had a two digit number. That, that oh, year. did you? Okay. Well, regardless, you're 10th overall in Boston in this, the worst conditions possible. You mentioned it's probably one of like the highlight of your running career in an article, probably one of the top moments, but your grind mentality was perfect for that day. Like it's just absolute shit out there. And you're just like, screw it. This is fine. I mean, also maybe not fair, really, I but even, I wasn't even the top D three guy there in in position uh, that that day. Uh, Rachel Highland finished fourth, and uh, she she went to Williams. Uh, we actually sat next to each other on the bus, and uh, I owed her husband twenty bucks uh, from March Madness pool, so I handed her twenty <laughs> bucks, and she ended up finishing fourth, and I ended up finishing tenth. Uh, this is this is a true story. I told you it's going to be Charlie Murphy's uh, true Hollywood stories on this podcast. But no, I mean, I, I don't know my my mentality that day was I wanted to improve my tombstone. Like when I was, when I was 22 or uh, 23, I just turned 23. Uh, I finished 24th there. I was the youngest finisher in the top 25. Um, and shit, you know, I, I, I grew up here guys. Like it's the only race that anybody cares about. So my tombstone was going to be like finished 24th in the 2008 Boston marathon. So my mentality for the entire thing was, finish better than your tombstone and i also knew that uh that you know that allison from upstairs who's going to run the thing in uh in in four and a half hours like you know from upstairs to the office like allison's going to run the thing in like you know four and a half hours or five hours she's not going to drop out i can't drop out 
So yeah, that's what uh, th- those were the those are the mentalities uh, of it. I, I, like I honestly, I blacked out a lot of the second half of the race. I don't even remember it. Uh, I remember a few moments. Like I mean, it was pretty cool to pass Abdi. It's like man, oh, yeah. I know this guy. You know, I've seen him on TV. But yeah, like it, it, I, I, I didn't I didn't realize that I was even close to tenth. I just wanted to be twenty third or better. Yeah, that was that was kind of my question, but maybe you already answered it. But where, so when you were approaching the finish line, did you have any indication of where you were in the field at that point? Not a damn clue. Because during that race, I mean, there's carnage everywhere. Like everyone's dropping out, and like mm-hmm. I think I read a stat where 95 of like the mat, 95 percent of the masses finished the race, but like 35 percent of the pros, you know, bowed out. And I think you even said this like. They have other priorities to go. This is my main priority. Yeah. Like, I'm finishing this race no matter what. And so is that just guiding you through like this awful shit storm that everyone had to deal with? Absolutely. Like, you know, they, they, they definitely have better things to do. What they're, what they're going to have a, they're going to have like a 228 next to their name. Like that, that sounds terrible, but you know, what sounded even more terrible for me having to go back to the office the next day and be like, <laughs> Oh, this is why Allison from upstairs finished. And you didn't. <laughs> office politics when with running when it comes to like what your time is versus their time and like they realize how quick you are it's just a whole mess you don't want to deal with exactly exactly and you know that adding the dnf to it was uh, yeah just did not want to do that day you mentioned earlier that you know qualifying for your first olympic trial has kind of changed your your life and and the top 10 at a major marathon especially a top 10 in boston you know your home marathon course essentially did that change your life yeah. Yeah. It, it definitely did. Like, I, I feel like, uh, I feel like at that point I was, uh, I was certified. Like uh, I, I didn't have anything to prove to anybody after that. Um, I had had a bad season the season before, like also just riddled with injuries. Um, and I was thinking about calling it quits after 17, but I was like, you know, we'll, we'll do the 10 year anniversary of uh, the day that I got my tombstone. Um, so uh, why not give it one more shot? I had, I had a good season a really bad Friday the day before, um, you know, being like, my God, if I ever run before, but then, you know, turned around over the weekend and, uh, it felt great the day of. Yeah. Once you have that, you know, behind you, what kind of confidence do you carry with you to other races? Like, especially in those conditions, like, do you just not worry about whatever is thrown at your way? Um, no, I still worry about it. Like, <laughs> I, I, I mean, you know, you're only good as your last envelope, right? And, uh, so I think, you know, maybe after being out of the game for a while, you know, when the next time that it, that things got hard was the day that I dropped out. I feel like, you know, maybe the, the next couple of years, it's like, it, it might've been more of a, uh, you know, mission accomplished, might not have to go that hard ever again, kind of thing. And, uh, and maybe that's, you know, like, like I, I did qualify for the trials again in, uh, in, at CIM in 18, but then after that, I was like, you know, I've got nothing left to prove to anybody. You've had a competitive career that has spanned longer than most, and you've been training hard for a really long time. Are you still learning anything about yourself that surprises you? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, this, this last season was, uh, was really eye opening. Um, you know, starting with the, you know, starting with the way that the one prior ended. It's like, you know, I really thought that I was going to be able to run 217 off of just like, you know, a lot of, a lot of miles and not making myself sick very often. But then I, I realized that, you know, I, I didn't have to run 120 uh, as long as I could 
get out there, get on the track, get on the Roosevelt, um, my, my, my hilly one mile loop out, uh, four and a half miles from here, uh, you know, get out there and make myself suffer. Uh, I was impressed and surprised by, uh, my ability to make myself suffer out there in training. And, uh, then, you know, the day I was out there in racing, I didn't think that I'd, I'd still be able to, to do it at 38. I figured I'd break down. I figured I'd die trying. You know, you mentioned, we mentioned longevity, but from a, from a physical standpoint, but longevity from a mentality standpoint, you just kind of said that right there where it's like, I didn't think I could make myself suffer. How do you continually to make yourself suffer and like get up the next morning and do it again? Like it just, it seems pretty ingrained in you, but I guess the open-ended question is how and why? I don't know. I feel like early it was, um, it was just this competitive, I want to, I want to F up all, all my competitors kind of thing, you know, like, I'm I'm pretty good at reading stuff online and having it rile me up. Um, guys write stuff on there. I mean, it's it's a it's a nonstop you know fountain of inspiration. But no, I mean, I think like like especially early on, especially like the first half of my career, it's like f this guy. I'm gonna do everything to be able to run away from him. You know, like you know f this other guy who you know for for whom it comes just so goddamn easy, and for me it comes so so goddamn hard. There's only one way I can beat this guy there's only one one way that i can you know register that fu against this guy you know and that's by by grinding really hard and making myself suffer um and i guess this time around it might have been just proving it to maybe the f this guy uh that this guy was the guy who finished at lester river uh seven miles early it's like f this guy who dropped out we're gonna we're gonna show him something you know listening to you you strike me as one of those guys that I can't really imagine ever stopping. Like it, it seems like you'll you'll probably retire a few more times before it That's before it sticks. It seems like it'll yeah, it won't stick for a while, but you know, you've made three trials, top ten in Boston, you've won marathons. What's what's left out there for you to accomplish? What else do you want to put on the tombstone? Uh I don't know. I, I guess, you know, maybe I just want, I, I, I want to be remembered as somebody like who everything and everything he did, um, that guy could grind, you know? And, uh, I think that, yeah, that uh, I honestly, from an athletic perspective, I've got, I've got nothing left to prove. Um, as long as I don't come in last at the trials, you know, that's, uh, that, that'll be good enough for me. What's wrong with finishing last at the trials? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like uh, I feel like my friends are gonna hold it against me, like for the rest of my life. You didn't finish last the trials, did you? In the in the ten k, yeah, I did. Okay, okay. <laughs> I only Not bring it up a few though. times when I can. You know, like, like you didn't finish, you know, three hundred and fourth in the marathon. That's because he DNF'd. Yeah, that's true. I've never finished a trials <laughs> marathon, but this isn't about me, Stu. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, loser, last in trials, DNF at trials. What have, what have you done lately, Noah? There we go. Thanks, Dan. Right, appreciate yeah, your help I'm, there oh, for the team. I, I, I shouldn't have. Uh, I, 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 you can just edit that part out. No, we're keeping. Oh, no. He's gotten me too many times in podcasts. So we're, uh, keeping, we're keeping that one in, especially because I'm the editor. Brutal. <laughs> Back on track here. You mentioned 10th at Boston. You mentioned want to do a master's for New York. Can you go back to Boston or is that it? Like you, you've, you've ran the last Boston Marathon. Or have you run a Boston since then? No, I ran in 2019. Okay, and, so you have uh, gone back. <laughs> it, it took it took me 16 miles to wake up. Like honestly, I thought about dropping out in Ashland. Like I remember passing the Ashland dunks, 
and being like, man, I should just call it a day here. And uh, I didn't. Uh, I, maybe, maybe I should have. Um, I mean, I had a great second half of the race. I had the best second half of Boston that I've ever run before. Um, but yeah, I went back and I, I mean, I feel like I had to after what happened the year before. Right. But I also kind of regret it because I, I feel like I should be like, um, I should be like uh, George Bush in, in The Simpsons being like, I've already accomplished everything I wanted to. In one term, there was no, no need for a second. And I, I think I've, I've tweeted that or I've strawed that before. So, um, yeah, and it's an original joke now, but it's like, I've already accomplished everything I wanted to accomplish in Boston in 2018. There's no need for another one. But no, I mean, I, I, I might go back. It, it's it's a cool race. Yeah. It's like, I, you you're, know, you're I, local too. So like, you're exactly. not exactly. Yeah. It's so and, dumb now. You have to spend so much money just to stay there for like two nights. Yeah, no, I don't I, I don't want to derail this conversation. No, no, but it, I mean, you know, I can I can stay here in Peabody and uh, you know hear the the sleet hit my window the night before. That, that was fun. Like that that's that's something that I'll always remember is the sleet hitting my window the night before that race. As we imagine a hot race instead, as you look start to look towards Orlando, you know when you play it out in your imagination, what's a successful day for you there? Successful day for me is to not go out too hard and not hate myself at the end. Um, I, I mean, I, I think the way that I executed in Atlanta was kind of perfect. Uh, I think it, I had like six people behind me after the first lap and I kept on moving my way up. And, you know, I think there are going to be some people who want to prove themselves uh, the day of and be overzealous. And uh, when they come back, that'll be an opportunity for me um, to see if I can pick off as many people as I can. Um, that, that's how I did it in, in Atlanta. I finished a hundredth, which was like right in the middle of the field. Um, and if I can, if I can do something similar to that, um, even if I don't finish like hundredth, then it'll be something that I can be proud of. Well, LA, you were 41st Boston. When it was rainy and cold, you're 10th Orlando. If they stay at the noon o'clock hour, it's going to be hot. seems like you are on the extremes when it comes to conditions and able to handle them. Or is it just, I, I was 111th at D3 nationals. The only time I qualified. So, you know, what was uh, the conditions like there? Oh God, it was so, it was muddy. It was muddy and uh, I am not a mud runner. Well, you got some heat and some rain, Yeah, you know, you've had some good times there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, it, it, I mean, if, if they keep it the noon start, start, I understand, like, I understand why they're doing it. Like, I feel like there are going to be people who'd say, oh, you're, you're underexposing the sport if they have it at six o'clock in the morning. But then again, you know, they, there aren't very many men who have hit the the number yet, so. I understand both sides of the of the argument, so I'm not going to wade into developing any hot takes for that one. I'm takeless. <laughs> That's a high road to take. Yeah, I don't know. I, I mean, I I feel like they're like I, I probably had some some stronger takes in 16, being like, "Come on, man, you shouldn't have oh, the, no, yeah. The, the yeah, you you shouldn't have had the 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 soap in in the sponges or something like that." And, oh, the soap. Yeah, you know, I mean, I was also like, you know, a hot headed like 31 year old when 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 that happened, and. uh now I'm a less hot-headed 38-year-old, so. I can still Ooh. taste the soap. <laughs> right? Yeah, I can still taste it. I want you to leave us with one final parting way. I think, you know, D3, you kind of summed up the kind of mentality that people take with it, like the journeyman version, you know, never wanting to give up and constantly, you know, looking to improve. I think, you know, it embodies what D3 is all about. What advice do you give people who, maybe this is their first October out of college or the seniors now that are trying to think what they want to do with their running career or guys like me who are 
up and down, you know, what's your advice to keep people going? I think keep, keeping a training log is uh, is really a good piece of advice. Like I've said that at like camps and stuff before. It's like if, if you want like one thing that can take your run to the next level, uh, especially when you don't have anybody else to be accountable to, like you don't have teammates to be to be accountable to. Um, yeah, I think uh, you know you can stay accountable to yourself by having a by having a training log and having a reliable one. Um, and I think also it's, it's worth it, you know, it, especially if you're, you know, if you're coming out of D3, it means that you're not, you know, you're, you're, you're not a hobby jogger, you know, I mean, we, we've got some, some real guys coming out of D3, uh, I'm not, not going to have time to talk about the fantasy league or anything, but, uh, but, but yeah, like, you know, there, there are a lot of real guys coming out of D3 and it's like, you know, it, you'll never have an experience with your friends the way that you did in D3 um or really any college team but you can still like it's still pretty cool what we're able to do out here you know i mean we, like we, we we can still play sports you know i mean if you're if you're playing d3 football um your, your last game is your last game like you know there are no men's leagues you've got you, you've got men's leagues in 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 track and field you know in distance running every weekend and you know in some some examples every wednesday you know so it, it like it's it's pretty cool like in, enjoy the opportunity that you have and uh and definitely keep it running log. Dan thanks for joining us it's been really fun to talk about talk about how your successful career has spanned so many years and you're definitely on our short list of people to root for in Orlando so thanks for taking the time to talk to us tonight. I really really appreciate it guys I mean this is uh speaking speaking of opportunity it's uh you know I I could I could never turn down you guys like you guys really cool podcast so thank you for uh thanks for having me on and uh until next time I suppose that's all for another episode of d3 glory days thanks to dan for sitting down with us and taking some time to walk us through his inspiring career i know Stu and i both really enjoyed this conversation hopefully you guys did too check the show notes for ways to support this podcast but anyway we'll talk more about that later until then here's to the glory days Music.